Hey everybody, welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. My name is Chase Cotton. I am with the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana, and I am excited to share another story of hope and recovery with my new friend Curtis today for episode number four. Um, Before uh, we jump into his story, I'm going to share a quick mental health and recovery tip. Today's tip is to remember that you are not alone. There are people willing to help. There are people who have been through similar stories as yours. And isolation is actually kind of a big risk factor, both in recovery as well as mental health struggles. So don't isolate yourself. Reach out for help. You're not alone. Now let's play some intro music, and then we'll introduce you to Curtis. Welcome back. Uniquely Better Life podcast, stories of hope and recovery. My friend Curtis is going to introduce himself, and we're just going to go ahead and dive into your story. The floor is yours. Hello, my name is Curtis, and I just go by courtesy. Um, I am in long-term recovery at this time. Um, Didn't really realize that I had a problem or didn't recognize that I had a problem until I got in trouble. Mm. And um, once I got in trouble, it made me more aware of um, how deep down the rabbit hole that I actually was. Sure. Um, and, and by going to counseling and recovery sessions, um, found out that uh, I had a lot of um, skeletons in the closet, a lot of things that hadn't been dealt with, and... Um, Due to the help of the Willow Center, um, a couple different counselors here um, have um, really shown some great interest um, in trying to help me get past this, not only physically but mentally as well. So that right. when look when going down the road, this will not be something that surfaces again because the past traumas uh, will be dealt with. Mm-hmm. How, how much of a role do you feel like those quote-unquote skeletons in the closet have, have played in your life in regards to the development of the addiction? Oh, a tremendous role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's manifested itself in anxiety, yeah. um, isolation. Um, the friends that uh, I would hang around um, because an active addiction... I was hanging around people that did the same thing. Right. So there was a commonality there. And with that commonality, we just sort of fed each other's addiction. Mm-hmm. And you always see people, my addiction is alcohol. Um, and you see the uh, commercials on TV about everybody having a good time, drinking their Coronas or whatever. Yeah, there's no commercials for the day after, is there? That's a, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes those day afters will come up and bite you. No kidding. But yeah, I surrounded myself with people that have the same affliction, addiction uh, that I do. Yeah. And through uh, proper counseling and recognition of um, mental uh, behavior pattern, patterns, um, 
I was able to recognize that what I was doing to my body that that wasn't good but but the mental state that allowed me to get as deep into um the addiction Mm -hmm. as what i was um and i say was but am fighting with type thing sure um uh, how many days sober are you if you don't mind me asking you know um I would have to go back to my journal to find that out. <laughs> you can give us an estimate. I would say uh, three weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. It That's has, awesome. That's hard work. That is hard work. It's harder than I ever imagined. Yeah. Um, there are tr- triggers that um, I didn't know were triggers. Sure. And they're very odd. Hmm. Or what I consider be odd, but um, in talking about it to... Um, the counselors, um, not only at like Smart Recovery, which is a good resource, um, but uh, here at the Willow Center, uh, learning more about triggers, just a time of day. Yeah. Like it's five o'clock somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. um, the sun's going down. It's time to, you know, uh, sit back, relax, have a beer, whatever. Right. Uh, whatever your, you know, choice is. Um, talking about alcoholism. Um, my mother was an alcoholic and, uh, uh, so I sort of ended up, you know, on the short end of the stick of that thinking that was normal behavior. Yeah. Um, so, you know, emotional programming going way back into my childhood years. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a long time. And it runs really deep, right? Like there's so much, uh, there's, I should say there's so many health related behaviors that we practice that are directly linked to what we experienced and observed in childhood that I think many of us aren't really aware of. No one said childhood was going to be that hard. Right. Because we end up bringing that into our adult life. Exactly. Thinking that's normal behavior. Right. And then you have, you know, the media, which is only reinforcing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you have cigarette commercials on uh, TV, but when I was growing up, you had cigarette sure commercials, did. you yeah. know, Joe Cool, the camel, you know, and uh, um, that was the whole thing. And I'm still fighting with that. But, you know, one sure. baby steps, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah. Progress is progress. Absolutely. And uh, um, but there are times and we were talking about how tough this can be. Right. Um, that that inner voice will not only say, Hey, you know, this happened. It's time to go drink. Mm. Uh, that happened. You can find any excuse whatsoever to go drink. Right. You had a good day. You had a bad day. You know, uh, you're short of money and you have more money than what you need. Go drink. Right. And in those times, knowing that I am supposed to be sober, uh, that, I have to fight those triggers to make sure that they don't become urges. Mm. And there's a difference. And That's so important. I feel like there are a lot of folks that are in the midst of it that don't know that. So can you can you expand? What's the difference between triggers and urges? Well, you're the counselor. You're supposed to tell me. Hey, hey, hey. Well, for the listeners, I am not a counselor. I am an administrative professional that happens to have a nice-sounding voice on a microphone. <laughs> oh, and, and but thank you for thinking so highly of me, Curtis. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, and Lord knows I'm not a, a counselor by any stretch of imagination. I'm, I'm just a person going through the process. 
But um, yeah, but that experience is valuable. So we're all ears. Um, triggers um, are the small thoughts that hey, it'd be nice to have a beer. An urge is I haven't drank in three days, and damn it, I need a drink. Yeah, you know, um, my boss pissed me off at work. Um, some coworker said something really bad to me that you know I couldn't respond to. Mm-hmm. And because that happened, I've got to go do this. That is my learned response. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't change anything. It's not going to help you out the next day. Matter of fact, it, you know, if you drink enough like I did, uh, being a functioning alcoholic, um, you just try to overcome the hangover with a little bit of coffee in the morning and whatever else uh, the side effects are and uh, try to make it through the next day. And then when something else triggers you, um, you're not going to be able to handle it as well, right? Considering that you're already below par, um, and kind you're not sets up that cycle. Yes. Yeah. And it's a vicious cycle. Absolutely. Do those urges feel physical to you as well? Oh yeah, yeah. Triggers are not as physical. They're they're that inner voice in your head uh, going, "Hey, I got a bright idea." And you're like, no, no. And you can fight through that. But an urge hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. One of the things I'm uh, trying to do is get on um, um, this medication to help prevent from urges. It will not prevent from triggers, but it will help prevent from urges. Mm Mm-hmm. Naltrexone. Naltrexone, yeah. Yeah. Sort of the craving and urge management medication for alcohol use. So. uh, Which can be a really big help, you know, if your doctor thinks it's right for you. Like, it can absolutely work as the next step. Yeah. And long before um, I got into any kind of uh, trouble with this um, addiction, um, I went in for a physical and this is my first appointment with this uh, doctor, and she yeah. was asking me about my drinking. Mm-hmm. And when I told her something that she wasn't expecting, she goes, well, is that a problem? I was like, not for me, not right now, you know, da-da-da. Sure. But she knew red flag was thrown up and um, prescribed me gabapentin uh, for anxiety and stuff like that. Because really, in my opinion and some of my counselor's opinions, is that my drinking comes from an anxiety-based um, um, place. Sure. Let's say. Yeah, so... Um, I, I really admire the self-reflection it takes to see that. You know, even given that you've been in counseling for a few weeks now, like, that's a big step. It's a big step to be able to look at yourself and be like, you know what, I see this as a potential source. I see, like, this anxiety. Like, these things make me feel uptight. And this is the coping skill I have, whether it was from childhood or whether it's childhood practiced into adulthood. Like that self-reflection is, is a huge step. Well, I thought uh, the first step was admitting that you have a problem. And now that we're diving deeper into it because the law says I do have a problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. That uh, in doing a deeper dive and having some uh, one-on-one time with, um, uh, Shelby, one of the counselors here. Um, as much as I tried to hide things from her, not mm-hmm. not to be facetious or um, elusive, 
but I'm just not that type of person that's very forthcoming with sure. everything. Um, it's not the most comfortable situation exactly. to have to talk about your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> the Mask of Masculinity, right? Ah, yes. It's a really good book by Lewis House. It is a great book. Um, shout out to Lewis House. Shout out. So the hiding didn't work? No, she busted me. <laughs> She's really good at that. And how she does that, um, I mean, books can teach you so much. Sure. But her intuition and life experience has uh, allowed her to see through my bullshit. Yeah. And just put a nail in the coffin right there. And I was like, what? How do you know this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I start questioning, you know, how transparent am I? Right. And, um, but it lets me know that one, she cares. And two, she really does know what she's doing. Yeah. So, um, I'm a very hard person to be impressed by anybody. Sure. Um, but, uh, in, a short time to be able to navigate her way into seeing me as uh, clearly as what she did was a pretty amazing feat. That's awesome. I'm sure she'll she'll be delighted to hear that. I hope she doesn't hear it. More <laughs> more than that, I, I, I you know what I, I I'll speak on her behalf. I'm sure she's just incredibly proud that you're even willing to share your story. Because like be it masculinity or, or or not, just any human has a hard time initially coming to a place where it's like, man, I gotta, I gotta talk about this. Like that's just, there's not a lot of natural components to that feeling. The funny thing, and I'm glad that you touched on that because the funny thing about addiction is we all have fears of what people are going to think of us because we have this shortcoming, whatever it is. Sure. But you can't get to the point of where you start feeling better about yourself until you do talk about it. Mm. When you talk about it, little by little, that chip uh, in your defensive wall starts coming down. Right. But you don't get that unless you feel comfortable enough with the person that you're sharing this with. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to just share this with anybody. Um, family members, chosen family members, counselors. Yeah. And that counselor, in my opinion, and the way I see things, is they have to earn my trust. Right. And when she nailed me, I was dumb. I'm like, what do you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I'm an open book, so I might as well just go on with it. Sure. You know, I, I, I think um, hearing about your experiences is, is helpful, and I know it'll be helpful for listeners too because I think there are some common misconceptions about what counseling is like. I think in particular addiction counseling, I think some of the expectations that folks walk in into that situation with are that it's going to be fluffy, that it's going to be... What do you think about that? Right, like, <laughs> tell me tell me more, you know, like... Like, let's, let's dig into those feelings a little more, you know? And it's not like this, like, happy-go-lucky Patch Adams stuff. Like, it's... Oh, Patch Adams, love that. Right. It is hard work. It, it is, is hard, hard work. work. And it, oftentimes, a good counselor will challenge you. I hate that. <laughs> hate slash love, right? <laughs> and then the homework and all that stuff. Right. But that's where the magic happened is it's... You can be as honest and forthright in the counseling session and you know, get some feedback on the things and stuff. But it's when you're by yourself, that isolation, that 
that time when you don't really feel that you have um, someone in your corner. It's yeah. just you and your thoughts. Yeah. That the greatest struggles come along. Mm-hmm. Once those struggles come along, you have two choices. Do what you've always been doing or do something different. Right. And what I've learned is that triggers usually last 60, 90 seconds. Urges much, much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can fight that trigger, you just won. Yeah. At least that round, yeah. you won. Um, and then the more rounds that you win, the more in favor of winning that next round and more momentum that you're going to carry into the next time. And then when that urge does hit and you've got all this, you know, uh, successes, many successes behind you, yeah, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to fight that big urge, you know, knowing that you've come so far right. and you really don't want to take that step backwards. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of, of building upon success. Right, I think sometimes well, we forget to celebrate cliche. those daily wins. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that sounds cliche. Just build upon success, and I'm not picking on you about that. It's celebrating the small things. Yeah, and when you realize that you made it on the other side of that, and that you can drive past that liquor store, right? Um, tell that friend, no, I don't need a drink. I, you know, yeah. or I can't drink right now. I'm on probation or I can't drink right now because I'm choosing not to drink, which is just as valid. Yeah. And it sort of stifles their argument going, well, come on. It's just one drink. I can't do that. Yeah. And you set that boundary and stuff. And if there anybody that cares about your opinion whatsoever, they'll do the right thing and back off. Right. But, uh, you know, you always have that peer pressure moment where, well, we're all doing it. Do whatever you want. I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> I, I could get in trouble. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, reflecting back to, you know, building upon successes, it's the personal success. It's allowing yourself to acknowledge that you did something in a positive way to help your life going the back into yeah. the right direction. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, uh, that one step could lead you down the right path. Amen to that. I love that. And I feel like that, that affirmation, if you will, is, is affirmation. That's the word. I yeah. <laughs> it's all good. I think, I think affirmation might be the next hardest thing to do past sharing your feelings is affirming yourself when you make a good decision, right? Or affirming even just yourselfness, right? Because after a series of bad decisions or after a series of bad decisions plus suffering from a disease that largely isn't always in our control, it's like that that affirmation helps, right? That that positive self-outlook it's is what like leads to hope. It's like that mental pat on the back. Yes. It's not like falling in love with yourself, but at no. the very least, it's like, <laughs> give me, yeah, give you that pat Ooh. on the back like, you did I made it. it through that. Yeah. Let's do another. Yeah. Exactly. And that felt good. Yeah. So since that felt good, what else can I do to, you know, get that feeling again? Because that's going to release, you know, the good feeling uh, uh, things. Endorphins and dopamine, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Endorphins. Thank you. Uh, in, in your brain. And, uh, 
that's not saying it is addictive and that if those things weren't addictive you know people wouldn't do it's true massive amount of drugs and chase the dragon and all that any stuff but right. uh um there is a difference however subtle it may be there's a difference from that first drink to saying i got this yeah and um that that victory can take you back to you know a time when you're a child when you won a race or Mm -hmm. you actually hit the ball in baseball or something like that and it wasn't huge but it meant something to you yeah and when it meant something to you um that's when you know all the stuff starts uh firing in your brain you're setting up new pattern-based pathways yes yeah that's i mean what for the listeners, what, what Curtis is touching on here is, is some of the, the, just the neuroscience behind addiction, right? All addictions are pleasure-based addictions, typically. Yes. Um, our brains are set up in such a way as to release certain chemicals that make us feel good in response to certain inputs. We choose the inputs, right? The inputs can be healthy inputs, like what we're talking about, making that good decision, hitting the ball out of the park, um, you know, uh, Meeting someone you, you, you have a good relationship with for coffee or whatever, like a good conversation or a kiss on the cheek. All of these are healthy inputs. And then we can also choose unhealthy inputs, which is where addiction starts getting set up, right? Choosing yes. substances to replace those healthy inputs. So when you start getting back to the healthy inputs, we're really doing a lot of help uh, for our brain. <laughs> like we're doing a lot of good work biophysically in our brain using those old addictive pathways to teach our brain that there are new creative and healthy ways to feel the same amount of pleasure which is awesome it's amazing that our brains are that i guess adaptable (laughs) yes yes and and, um you don't become addicted overnight right you don't uh become good overnight it's a series of um actions uh, and decisions there that's what i was looking for decisions that will lead you down you know the dark path or the light path yeah to sound star wars <laughs> <laughs> and uh um when you do uh, you feel different um and you feel it like in the core of your being yeah that whew, I, I i did that and um it's a good feeling you absolutely know? so um a lot of times and I didn't even think about this, you know, during active addiction, um, I would go to the liquor store or whatever, um, just sit in the parking lot and Mm -hmm. go, Hmm, should I do this? What's it going to do for me? And reflect, but in active addiction, no matter if I sat there for 30 seconds or five minutes, I still went in. Right. I was just cognitive, more alert, more aware of the the things I was trying to get away from, even though I couldn't put my finger on sure. what I was trying to get away from. And that is uh, a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. So in your story, if you could narrow it down to like, at least at, at this time in your story, a single takeaway... Like, like the most important thing you feel like you've learned about yourself, about recovery, et cetera. What, what would you narrow it down to? I'm human. Mm, that's powerful. Humans are flawed. You know, um, not a big believer in 
the Almighty, but uh, whoever did create us uh, gave us the power of choice. Mm-hmm. And with that choice, we have the ability to do, you know, right or wrong. Um, but there's always uh, repercussions in either way you go. Yeah. Um, you know that if you did something negative, um, that repercussion is going to suck. Right. Uh, by comparison to do you do something positive, someone might see the change in you. Mm-hmm. And if they see that change in you, they might gravitate towards you. They might even say, good job. I noticed X, Y, Z. Yeah. And that's also going to be, uh, what's that word? Um, An affirmation. Reinforcing. Reinforcing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of the fact that you're trying, you know, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, but whether or not you know it, people are watching. Yeah. And especially people who love us. Yes. I was going to say family, chosen family, that type of thing. And if you're starting to make better, wiser uh, decisions and you do that from a place to of a solid foundation. Yeah. um, They're going to know that you're serious, you know, and and it goes back to, again, biblical stuff where Jesus was talking about, uh, a man who uh, built his foundation on sand and the mm-hmm. storm came and it knocked down the house as to where the person who dug down that found the rock yeah. and then built his house on the rock and when the storm came, the house was not affected. Right. So it's important to do things like the counseling and uncovering of the negative stuff that... Um, is creating the sand as a foundation because right. until you find that uh, rock, it's really hard to build on something that's not going to, you know, show the test of time. Yeah, that's great. That's powerful, Curtis. Well, if we were to wrap up, um, and you were going to offer some advice for a listener who is in active addiction right now, or or maybe even just experiencing, you know, the repercussions of mental illness in, in general, what advice would you give that listener? Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. It's not easy to fess up and admit that you have this problem. But if you're kind to yourself and you listen to that inner voice, Mm -hmm. it's not going to lie to you. I mean, you know, you know what's right. And whatever the addiction is, um, when you go to do that, don't let it be so overpowering, overwhelming. Um, Just be kind to yourself and say, you know, just this one time I'm not going to do it. No matter how bad it is, just one time I'm not going to do it. And see how you feel. Yeah. That's great. Curtis, thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, I'm honored to hear it and... I'm encouraged, and I know our listeners will be too. That was uh, our friend Curtis sharing his, his sto- story of hope and recovery. Um, and and I, I really hope that uh, you take some of these these bits of wisdom and, and personal experience to heart that he shared because, you know, this is real life. I, I think what, what strikes me the most is uh, of what Curtis just shared with us was that he's human. And I know everybody listening to this podcast is human too. 
Um, and sometimes we don't like to even admit that to ourselves, right? That's a tough one, yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one. But we are human, and, and I think we all deserve to be kind to ourselves, and sometimes that can be the turnkey towards uh, turning your story and your path towards that hope. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I've been your host. My name is Chase Cotton with the Willow Center. This is a Uniquely Better Life podcast. This was episode four. We've got three other episodes, three great stories that preceded this one that I encourage you to go listen to. And we'll be back next month with another.